Welcome to Homebuilder Happy Hour. This is Kelly. And Ryan. And we're serving up the latest trends in the home building industry to help you navigate this competitive market. So go ahead and pour yourself a drink, relax, and enjoy the happiest hour of the day with us. Cheers. Cheers. Hello, and welcome to Home Builder Happy Hour. This is Kelly, and I'm sitting here with Ryan, my partner, and Joey Grable, our web developer. Thank you for being here today, Joey. Hello. It's Hi. You've been on the podcast with us before. I think you came on and talked about, I can't remember what, last season. Do you remember? Oh, we were talking about YouTube video. That's right. Form. Well, we're taking a complete like left turn, and today's conversation is going to be about digital privacy, right? Online privacy and how that is going to be affecting us in our digital marketing moving forward. And Joey put together a nice little presentation that he gave our team several weeks ago, and I thought, oh, this is juicy information. I think we need to have this on the podcast because he starts all the way back in time and like the late 1800s and uh he's so he's going to give us a little history lesson which i thought was really fun and um and he's going to talk about today kind of what's happening with web privacy online privacy maybe a little bit about email um and various things so i hope you guys get some good takeaways from today's conversation joey i'm turning it over to you thank you kelly um yeah like kelly said uh, i'll be talking a lot about online privacy today. I'm going to start with going into the history of privacy rights in the United States and kind of expand that around the world. Um, then we'll kind of talk about the changes to the privacy landscape today. Um, and particularly, we'll talk about cookies, how they work, how they can be dangerous, and kind of how uh, or the differences between different types of cookies and how that's kind of changing moving forward. <clears throat> Um, and then we'll also talk about email tracking and how um, the release of Apple's iOS 15 and moving forward their Apple Mail privacy protection policies and procedures are really um, kind of changing the landscape for how we can market in emails and what information we can really gather about our customers. Um, and so I go back in time historically because it's really interesting to see how today's kind of environment is paralleling um, kind of what happened back um, in the early 1890s and 1900s. And so historically, the first kind of publication um, I want to talk about is in 1890, the Harvard Business Review published an article called The Right to Privacy and was written by two justices. And it's really considered the first publication in the U.S. to argue for the right to privacy. Um, and what I find most interesting about this publication is that it argues it argues for privacy at a time where, quote, instantaneous pho photogra photographs and newspaper enterprises have invaded the sacred precincts of private and domestic life. Um, and so I think that's interesting how today we're seeing the kind of similar story take place, but in a digital environment um, with uh, news organizations making a move for social towards social media, private companies making that shift as well. Um, and with the rise of instantaneous photographs or selfie culture today, it's 
fascinating that we're kind of re-addressing these privacy issues. And so after that article, really the first law case that this came into effect was, um, well, so the Federal Trade Commission is the the big entity um, that regulates these privacy rules between um, any businesses in America. And so they were established in 1914. Um, and then a couple years later in 1917, the FTC ruled against the FBI, who was also a new organization at the time. But the FBI was um, investigating acts of sabotage and subversion. And what they were doing is they were monitoring monitoring physical mail and actually opening up the physical mail of uh, U.S. citizens at the time. So the FTC ruled against them. Um, in a case that established protections on sealed mail. Um, and this court case really, and the um, court case and the policies that came out from that is really what sets the groundwork for digital privacy rights, rules, and regulations in our environment today. That's crazy. Um, yeah. That's yeah. Really <laughs> you know, like over a hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the FTC mm-hmm. and the FBI. Wow. Um, it's ever relevant today. Um, right? So moving into current events, um, really was like this reconverged in the 1990s, um, where in 1994, um, the European Union kind of made this first shift towards data protection and what data meant in the... Um, in this inner new internet age. Um, and it really, what did it do? It, uh, protected fundamental rights and freedoms for natural persons, privacy, uh, persons to privacy and with respect to the processing of personal data. Um, and it, uh, prohibited European union states from restricting the flow of information between other, um, European Union members. Um, so this is where we see like the first not letting agencies kind of restrict um, data and protecting it, taking a move to protect it at least. So the EU made the first move before we did. Um, yes. Over here well, in the US. In a digital environment, yeah. In terms of defining like what data means moving into the 20th century. 21st century. And that happened in the mid nineties, you said? 1994, the year I was born. (laughs) Okay. I was in college. (laughs) Ryan, you were in high school. school. Mm Yeah. It's fascinating. Okay. So now we're putting a little perspective on it. I like it. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, this sparked a lot of the conversation in America. And the first kind of act that we saw in a digital landscape was the COPPA Act or the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Um, And this was what set regulations on the collection of personal data for children under the age of 18 and how that data can be used and so forth. Um, But it wasn't until the 2000s, 2002, where the government actually passed the e-government act, which set its own regulations with how uh, public entities are required to, um, or not, didn't mandate, it more enabled public um, government agencies to use these new digital technologies at the time, kind of set the framework for 
how privacy is going to play effect in the digital landscape. Um, but again, the European Union was ahead of the game and they set another act, uh, passed another act in later in 2012, which was the right, right to be forgotten statute, um, which set data erasure uh, and removal requirements when subjects request that their data be removed or when the data is no longer relevant. And this kind of prevents companies from holding on to data that's stale or old about users to, or um, also protects users from request or giving them the agency to request that their data be deleted from um, pub, uh, private businesses. So I think I remember when this one was going through because we were in business, I believe with get community and it required like a lot of updates to website disclaimers, terms of service and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the beginnings of where we started to see those uh, pop-ups that you probably see them as accept all cookies. Yes. Okay. Um, Those hadn't yet um, been like the standard yet. That wasn't until later with the, I think, the next actor that I was going to talk about. And yeah, 2012, they also published the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR. And so yes. that was what set the standard. Um, it obli- uh, obligates organizations globally so long as you uh, the data is collected about European Union members. So it affected it pretty much all online businesses. And it was instrumental in orienting private businesses into having better data accountability and protection practices, um, as well as kind of stewarded the security by default mindset where um, you started to see those cookie pop-ups where users are act- are required to now opt in to having cookies track their data online. Um, so the GDPR kind of gave some more tools for consumers to protect themselves um, online. And from that, finally, America started to take uh, follow suit and California led the way with, uh, they passed the CCPA Act or California Consumer Privacy Act. And so a lot of the businesses that we work with in California here are subject to this. And it really set three four kind of core rules for consumers. Um, It protected consumers and gave them the right to know what information a business collects about them and how that information is being shared. Mm. Uh, It also gave users the right to delete uh, all information about the user within legal obligations and um, exceptions, of course. Uh, And then it gave users the right to opt out of the sale of their personal information, um, which is, I think, important. Um, And then lastly, it has a right to non-discrimination clause for exercising these rights. So (laughs) the um, interesting thing on that, you know, and, um, you know, as you said before, you know, this is the lead up to that, you know, accept all cookies or, you know, have the ability to go and pick and choose, you know, which ones, you know, are allowed. And, um, 
and all of that, and the user's ability to, you know, say, you know, um, you want your data to be removed. Um, you know, the, the thing that's, and, and I think we're getting into this topic, you know, it's coming up, but, um, you know, that, you know, that area that it's been is stuck to that one layer of transactions. So, you know, it's, you're integrating with just one website, you know, so if that website is collecting your data, you know, um, these rules and regulations right now are mainly concerned with just that interaction between you and that person. But there's all these other entities, you know, that, you know, are, you know, have had their hands in the cookie jar, you know, um, whereas it may be, you know, Google or, you know, um, someone else that is also gathering, you know, um, this data um, or they're getting it in transit, you know, for, you know, mm-hmm. to say, or, um, you know, one of the tools I've used, you know, a ton, you know, um, in the past because it's the, it was called, I think it might still be called it, but the way back tracker, you know, where there's a history of, you know, um, you know, your website or, you know, uh, data, you know, from websites, you know, that you can go back and look at what was there in the past. Um, and it's stored in a external caching environment. So it's not, you know, necessarily, um, you know, if you say, Oh, I'm going to go take my data off of, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatever it may be, that doesn't mean that that data is gone. You know, there's these third party entities that have been, you know, capturing that stuff as well. Um, so mm-hmm. that, you know, as the, you know, these privacy things, you know, continue to go on and, you know, I like I said, I'll let you jump back in here, but the, um, you know, but there is that, you know, all of these regulations have been built towards, you know, that one-on-one transaction. Yeah, that's really interesting. And why I like to talk about the FTC case, because it's a lot, it's interesting. Back then it was a public entity who was, snooping or looking at looking into people's mail but what ryan just described is what's happening today with third-party ad trackers for example there might be a cookie on your website and you're visiting this website thinking oh i'm just going to have my data associated with this one company but there are actually these other entities that are there kind of listening in for your events whether it's a click or a scroll or a form submission Um, and so now we're kind of moving into this landscape where um, the regulations are kind of being set by public entities or um, and now we're seeing this shift where Apple, for example, is making a shift or making the move as a private company to give users their tools individually to protect their privacy. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see what groups are making moves where and how it affects it all. Um, and well, yeah, so talking about that, the that was the big, uh, two big changes that have really happened the, this past year, 2021, 2022, or, or sorry, 2020 and 21. Um, in 2020, Google is what announced, uh, made this big announcement that they're actually going to be changing their cookies, cookie policies. And, um, that is going to go into effect into 2024 is when they're um, going to be implementing that new cookie policy, which we'll talk about in the next section. Um, 
And then as well, in 2021, app with the release of Apple's iOS 15 um, and subsequent releases after that, they implemented a couple features. The core one, main one being the Apple's Mail Privacy Protection, or MPP, as you might see around um, marketing websites. But that Mail Privacy Protection is becoming um, a big hurdle for us email sending advertisers um, in how emails get delivered, how they get scanned and eventually opened or interacted with by users. Um, And then Apple also released a couple tools on their Safari app as well that can do some um, more specific privacy protection things for its users. Yeah, so it's kind of the landscape as we've seen it up until today. And I'll talk kind of about these privacy changes and um, more specifically, we'll talk about browser cookies and then email tracking. And for a little bit of background for browser cookies, we hear them all the time about um, cookies in the browser and tracking our data. But a lot of people don't really know what a cookie is or what they what they do. Um, and I think the best analogy that I've seen around is that cookies are like a coat check for web browsers. Um, so let's say you go to a club and you hand over your coat to a coat check. That coat attendant is going to give you a ticket that identifies you you're, as the coat owner for this coat. Then you're going to go out, you're going to go to the club, have a good time with your friends. With, and then eventually at the end of the night, you'll come back to the coat attendant, you'll hand them your ticket. And then that ticket is going to identify you, the coat, then they'll give you your coat back and you can go on with your merry way. And so cookies are this exact same concept, but instead of a cookie or instead of a coat, the coat is some kind of personally identifiable information. So when you log into Facebook, for example, you give them your personal information, then they send you a cookie or a coat check ticket. And then with this cookie, it has your ID or any information that Facebook has securely put into it. Um, and then when you're browsing on the website, you can use this cookie to do different actions. Um, and as you're kind of browsing on the Facebook website, it uses that ID or coat check or ticket or cookie to associate the correct information with your account. And so it seems pretty straightforward, but there are some kind of dangers to using cookies. And the main one is, um, kind of like how Ryan described is having another hand's cookie, another hand in the cookie jar, or um, if someone is looking for cookies and find, let me, sorry, let me restart. To go back to the analogy, if you're at the club, for example, and you have your ticket and you're out and about, but you accidentally put it face down and someone else can look at your coat ticket and see the number on it, then they can go make a fake coat ticket and then go try to turn that into the coat attendant. And if the coat attendant isn't really paying attention to the person or the face and doesn't verify it, then someone might be able to steal your coat, for example. Uh, And so this is kind of like a worst case scenario. Uh, It doesn't really happen all that often, but it does happen and it's something to be weary of. And in particularly, um, 
to be weary of these third-party cookies is how they're described. Um, and so this is going into Google Chrome's cookie policy change is um, the new policy for Chrome going forward after 2024 will be to not allow third-party cookies to be set in your browser. And instead, it'll be relying on first-party cookies. And really, the, the difference between the two is who's making the cookie or where's the source coming from. Um, and so continuing in this analogy of the coat check, I kind of like to imagine a first-party cookie is like if you go to the club and they operate their own coat check, they hire their own employees and security, and it's trusted and it's in-house, um, then they can manage it all themselves and it's a little bit more reliable. Whereas a third-party cookie would be um, like a third-party advertiser or if like the coat check was outsourced or had a, a different a shop next door that you went in beforehand and it was a different company that was handling the coat checks, but then you got to go into the club. It's like a different entity that kind of gets to see your personal information or a little bit of it, but doesn't really operate in the same realm of what the business, what the original business is there for the, the club. Um, and so we get these competing interests online in the digital privacy space. So in order to protect or prevent these third parties from sniffing or stealing cookies or kind of gathering data that is not intended intended to be gathered by the original website. Um, Chrome is going to be preventing those third-party cookies so that hopefully it makes it a more secure environment. Preventing them just entirely? Yeah, so I'm not sure the nuances of how that works or the rollout of it. I will be uh, follow a couple of blogs and I'll be staying up to date with um so let me ask you this question yeah let's say we have a website and it's olsenhomes.com okay now olsen can be tracking you right they might you have to accept their cookies because you have to accept them from any website you go to as far as i know um and that means that they're like tracking your activity on their website and they can be doing that and that's their website and you're accepting that but mm -hmm. If we have like a Facebook pixel and I could be totally like talking about the wrong thing, but if we have Facebook also on the website tracking, which we might, we probably do probably most websites out there have like a Facebook pixel on their site. So with, is that a cookie? And is that like a third party coming in through your website? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and to my understanding, it would be considered a third party cookie to have that Facebook pixel on your website. And the reason is because um, the first party third party distinction is is like where the data is getting sent to when you um, when you interact on a website, the cookie gathers that interaction and sends it somewhere to track and um, if you're on olsenhomes.com and we track our own uh, through Google Analytics, it's um, associated with our domain name, for example. So it would be Miles and Homes or one of their neighborhood sites. The, the tracking data for Google Analytics is getting sent directly to our own domain, whereas mm -hmm. a Facebook pixel on a website 
um, the data is not getting sent to Olson Homes. It's getting sent to Facebook.com to handle that data. And so mm -hmm. since it's being offloaded to a third party in that way, um, to my understanding, it would be considered a third party cookie. And it, it makes adding Facebook pixels or at, yeah, it makes adding those into your website much more difficult. And I honestly don't know the answer to your question or a clean answer. Right. Um, as it is both, um, Facebook's pick, Facebook's pixel has been a third party pixel for, uh, you know, since it was originally created, um, in, within the last year, they've been developing and, uh, I don't know if they've fully replaced it or not to change it to a first party pixel, um, um, to go through these, you know, these changes, they, they'll, they're well aware of, you know, what's going on. So they've redeveloped it, um, to, you know, to be that, um, you know, those changes and exactly like what Joey was saying, some of those changes have to do with, you know, uh, the domain, you know, that's associated with that pixel. So Facebook may, you know, have to associate your domain with your pixel so that they can collect that data, you know, verifying that, you know, data collection there is being, you know, uh, instigated or, or initiated from your site. Um, now where the, you know, the, the big thing with, you know, especially in your example is, okay, we say, okay, we put a, a, a cookie, you know, on Olsen homes, you know, let's say, um, and someone goes to your, that site and now we're able to track whatever they're doing on that site, you know, and, you know, and, and be aware and know when that cookie doesn't leave your computer. But when that user who's searching then goes over and says, hey, I now want to go look at, you know, Shea Homes, uh, that Olsen cookie is still on your computer. It has the ability to then be a third party cookie um, and go and tell you like, hey, this person that was on Olsen Homes just went and looked at these homes at Shea Homes. Um, so now you're you know grabbing information that wasn't, you know, uh, really initiated, you know, from your website, you know, for others, you know, and that's the data that's going away, you know, um, and that's the stuff that Facebook was able to do before as well. You know, so when you come into the advertiser discussion, you know, that's where, you know, and everyone, you know, has done it. It's like, Oh, I just searched for Jay Holmes on, you know, um, on Google or whatever. And then I go to Facebook and, um, you know, Hey, all my ads are for, you know, Shea Holmes, you know, how did they know? Um, that's because the third party, you know, um, pixels or the third party cookies, you know, that are delivering that information, um, you know, to the different advertiser platforms, but they're all very aware of what's going on. So they're all making modifications. You right. Know, um, the to big try companies to, are going to work yeah. together. It's <laughs> the smaller ones. Yep. The ad platforms that different agencies like us use and that are going to, I, I wonder, you know, I, I don't really know, but have more of a struggle in figuring out how to make their third party cookie be worthwhile anymore. You know, if we can't gather the information we need for retargeting and what have you, I think this is what we really need to be watching, right? What these companies are going to have to figure out. Um, come 2024, 2025, you know? Mm -hmm. And there are a few companies that are starting to come out with uh, like cookie-less retargeting 
things. I haven't seen anything promising yet, but there are a couple companies that are trying to rethink how tracking would work without cookies at all. Um, oh, yeah. It's a very interesting conversation that's happening. I'm sure we'll be mm-hmm. having this again next year as more and more things change, like a little once a year refresher, you oh. know? Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's still a long way to go in this environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think another good example is, um, so we use our um, marketing automation tool. Um, it has its own tracking abilities that we put a tracking pixel onto our client's website. And um, it's not considered a third-party cookie, even though it is like a third-party advertiser in a way. Um, it's more so it has an extra step, like kind of how Ryan was describing as my guess, Facebook is going to make an extra step where for our tracking on our marketing automation platform, we have an extra like domain name verification. So we go into the DNS and we add a couple records that verify the domain name to our marketing automation tracking system. So there are ways around, but it's another example. Yeah. Uh, which leads me into kind of the next part of our conversation or the last part about email tracking, because with our marketing automation platform, we send out a lot of emails and we track a lot of email interactions. And um, back in 2001, Apple announced this mail privacy protection feature, which um, it's a new way of um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's a mechanism that allows email users to open and view emails in a way that um, kind of prevents us digital marketers from determining specific information about the user. And so, again, Apple's has their own team of security experts that build these tools, but it somehow uh, opens the email before the user opens the email and it scans it. It looks at all the links. It looks for any tracking pixels that might be in the email. And it tries to identify whether the email is safe, not safe. It has bad links or so forth. And in doing that, um, the kind of biggest effect on email engagement is that we've seen this spike in open rates since then, is that a lot more email providers and track analytics are showing. Um, I have this report from uh, Omida is a marketing firm and they analyzed, I forget what the email size, but six months before and six months after this email launch, and they saw a almost 10%, 15% increase in open rates after that um, September launch in 2021. And so the biggest change that we're going to have to address as marketers is um, now that we have kind of bots doing these extra steps and opening emails before we've actually viewed them, it's um, becoming a different kind of, uh, it's changing the way we look at the metrics as far as, well, open rates are not as reliable of a metric as they used to be. Um, so we're going to have to start shifting towards more 
positive engagement, like clicking or scrolling or form submissions, um, things that are direct actions um, in part of the user. Uh, yep. Yeah. Which, you know, from a marketing standpoint, you know, should have been our, you know, our metrics in the beginning. But I think we all got, you know, caught up with and more interested in, you know, those open rates, um, you know, and views and, you know, those things versus, um, you know, the end all, you know, engagement. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you pay attention to your email, those of you, you know, out there listening and looking at the emails that you're receiving today are probably looking a lot different, even though you may not have noticed if you start paying attention already, you know, some of the the bigger companies are much more focused on the click and there's a lot of, you know, blogs you can read and emails that you can study about the whole science of where to place the click, how important it is. Um Versus, you know, maybe before, like, in, like, you know, a year ago from now, that wasn't as important. Even for us, there's always been like, you know, we need opportunities to click and get people to the website. Um, but now it's like that click needs to be above the fold. Can it be with the graphic at the very top? Because that's the action we want them to be taking. Um, I'm sure we'll see more and more strategies coming out on that as we kind of say, oh, the open rate maybe not as important, like definitely not accurate anymore. Um, And what we're benchmarking, you know, as far as industry averages, all of that is interesting to me because it's like, oh, we do so well, but that's also like, well, do we, (laughs) you know, on the open (laughs) rate? I mean, is it even real? But the click rate, Mm -hmm. that's good. And it's making like we marketers are making it easier for people to get to where we really want them to go from an email. Mm-hmm. Um, but that'll keep changing for sure. I almost felt like email was about to go out of style for a while. That was the talk. It was like emails dead and now emails back with a vengeance, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. Especially yeah, in, in the private landscape too. I know there's a, a lot of email clients popping up that are like non-track, non-tracking email clients where um, or like encrypts your email by default um, is like a, there's definitely been a, a rise in the email landscape. Um, yeah. And I think we'll see this too. It's, it's branching beyond email now and as a result, because um, it, it's reaching over to social media as well. For example, Instagram now places a lot more influence in uh, uh, a lot more focus on like comments, uh, users like actually leaving comments on the posts, those reels and posts will get ranked higher in feeds, for example. But going off of that is since clicks are really becoming the driver of engagement is taking advantage of these multi-channel campaigns where you're not just relying on emails. Um, you need to be using social media as well to be talking about the things you talk about in your blog post or sorry, in your newsletter so that when customers are getting that newsletter, maybe they just read through it, but they don't click on it. But then when they're on Instagram later and they see a post related to a content that they read in an email, they're going to be so much more inclined to kind of engage with that content online. Mm -hmm. Uh, So these multi-channel engagement campaigns are going to kind of shape the full picture for our clients going forward. 
or the users at least. Yeah, definitely. Uh, cool. Was there anything else that we, that was on your list to go over Joey? Um, I just have, no, that's all of it. The last slide is on um, using more re-engagement, multi-channel re-engagement campaigns, uh, developing shorter emails like you talked about with more prominent and shorter calls to actions placed above the fold, up at the top if prefer, if you can, or incorporating buttons into those header images if you can. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of all of it. I have some other numbers for our client specifics, but we'll save that for our eyes. <laughs> I like it. Well, thank you for coming on and going through all of this data with us. Thank goodness we have you to pour through all that information <laughs> online and explain it to us. Thank you, Joey. Been fun. <laughs> I definitely like doing research on these things. So we love that you like to do that. <laughs> you and Ryan are like the two people in our company who will do like a deep dive on that like i'll go to the headline in the first paragraph and then i'm like okay and then ryan's like no you gotta go all the way down i'm like no so thank goodness we have you guys to do that that you enjoy it (laughs) all right well thanks for joining and we'll see you next time Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Builder Happy Hour. Make sure to follow us on all our social media pages to stay updated on what's happening at Get Community. You can find all of our social media handles in our show notes for this episode. We'll see you next time. And remember to make every hour in life 